Well, hey, without any consultation with anyone, I've decided it's time to start. Yeah. And it is 5.03, and y'all have had some lovely conversations about money or Confederate statues downtown or creative writing or whatever you occupied yourself with from 4 to 5. We're glad you're here in the second half of our time together. And as we will... I don't know, maybe every single week. Molly's in charge of these. Walter Brueggemann is back in a, in a highly appropriate way. So we start again with these words from Walter. Prophets are people who, because of their roots in the theological tradition and because of some emancipatory experience in their own life, refuse to accept the definitions of reality that are imposed upon us by the socio-economic political power structure. In ancient Israel, the prophets refused to accept the royal priestly ideology of the Jerusalem establishment, and they kept saying that the radicality of the Torah was more definitive than whatever was going on in Jerusalem. So, getting into the thick of what we have now officially decided to call prophets then and now this week. In week two, after Molly's lovely, really, really, I thought really well done overview of prophets and historical context last week, we're going to dive into Jeremiah and sign acts. And of course, it is also MLK Sunday. And so that'll be in there as well. So glad you joined us for, yeah, week two of that. And to get us a little further in and to usher our kids on upstairs, we're going to sing Open Our Eyes again this week. And you sang it so well last week that I'm going to just put this dang microphone down, okay? So. Open up our ears to listen. Open up our eyes to see. Plant the seed of understanding. Grow it up like the tallest tree. Again. Open up our ears to listen. Open up our eyes to see. Plant the seed of understanding. going upstairs, like Amos is continuing this week with the older kids, and Amber kids are talking, doing Lectio Divina with Jesus stories, and we're excited that's happening. And announcement-wise, if you did miss what was going on, I just name-checked all of them during our four to five o'clock hour, just quickly navigate us through that, Phil, like really touched a nerve and a whole crowd of people that really wanted to talk about money and our lives and our faith were gathered together. Um, Like a few folks went out downtown to the site of the Confederate statue to do some public readings and reflection there together. Those that we're going to choose a couple different locations in the four o'clock hour going forward. If you have a burning idea about where to do that, someplace within five, ten minutes of a year, that would be great to visit in this prophecy series. Let us know. Staff will be pulling that together. And then finally, Suze is going to keep doing creative writing things with anybody who's willing to join. Do you want to do another pitch for that real quick? Sure. Yeah. Since we're in prophecy, we're doing visions of the future. So today we talked about sci-fi. Uh, and like the metaphors of sci-fi, but yeah, it'll be, we'll do a little practice, we'll do a little talking, um, and hopefully we'll do a little writing of some future stories. And you do not have to be a writer. (laughs) Yes, no, not at all. 
Awesome. So those three are going to go on in this the next week, which is our week three. They'll also happen in week five at the four o'clock hour. And now, the real announcement for week four. We remembered when the Super Bowl is happening. It's been dogging us for years. It would arrive, and we would know, discover on Thursday that, oh, right, a major cultural event is happening on Sunday. And... 12 of you would very gamely gather and, you know, avoid whatever you were otherwise going to. So this year, we're, we made a plan, all right? And so we need you to convene with us and agree that on February 2nd, we are still going to meet, but we are going to meet from 4 to 5.15. So if you have a Super Bowl-related or just some festive cultural activity that you want to go be a part of in the, in the early evening, you can still do that, and we're going to sort of rearrange and just put this second half as the sole thing we do together that week from 4 to 5.15. We're still thinking about exactly how to frame that. Had thought about maybe we could put some of those regular 4 o'clock things in the bigger space. Still thinking about that, but we will be together only 4 to 5.15 on what we now understand is Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> February 2nd. So, what else is going on, Molly? It only took us 15 years. Yeah. It took us like five. It took us five. Me and Molly. Um, The only other, um, just want to make you aware of different um, events and ways you can show up tomorrow um, on Martin Luther King this holiday. Um, At 10.30 Durham, the Durham March will begin at NC Mutual. And they will march to First Presbyterian down the road. And at that time, there will be a rally. So anyone, everyone should wrap up 10.30 to 12. That's roughly what that will be. If you would like to engage in service tomorrow um, from 1 to 4 p.m., you all might remember Dave Crispell, who spoke at Ben's ordination and is a dear friend of both of ours. He um, has created a home for young men returning um, after being incarcerated. And it's called Jubilee Home. And so there's an official Martin Luther King service day happening there from 1 to 4. It's 404 East Unstead Street. Um, And they have, for like kids any age, can come and help. I think they're going to be planting some bulbs and doing some gardening. And then if you would like, there's a 6 p.m. worship gathering that's put on by the MLK Steering Committee. Um, plan to be there at least two hours if you go. Um, and it's at Mount Calvary United Church of Christ. So 10.30, drop in anytime between 1 to 4 or 6 p.m. tomorrow. And I will send that out on the social, but I wanted you all to be aware of this. So, yeah. And, uh, March at 10.30, Chelsea and I are going to be there with the kids, so if you're thinking about going, like, let me know and we'll look for you and walk with you. Great. Um, yeah. Thanks for that heads up. And so many, many, many ways to mark the holiday. Um, something else I was going to say, and I forgot it. So, let's pray together. Um, Molly sort of arranged... Another Walter Brueggemann prayer, and these really are prayers for privileged people. I'm sure less privileged people would be moved by these prayers, but certainly 
um, as someone reckoning with privilege, these are great prayers. Um, you're going to use this one, Martin Luther King Jr., to pray together tonight. You've got your sort of part in bold, and I'll get us started in that. So let us pray these words of reflection about our lost but not forgotten brother prophet. God of the prophets, some of us are old enough to remember the balcony in Memphis, the sanitation murder strike, the shock that broke flesh, the loss of Martin, and then the mule-drawn wagon and the funeral and the riots, the violence, the fear, and the failure. All of us know the crowd in D.C. and I had a dream, the Birmingham jail, the broad stream of violence, and his steadfast nonviolence in Albany, in Scotia, and in Selma. All of us know his awesome daring speech, his bravery, his hope, and his generous words, and we know the relentlessness of our government. this distance, we have little access to how it was then concerning ambiguity and fear and reluctance and violence and injustice. Even still, we do not doubt that you have persisted even beyond Martin's passion, even beyond Martin's brilliance, even beyond Martin's fidelity and his loss. We do not doubt that through him and behind him you, holy God of the prophets, are still pledged to justice and peace and liberty for all. This night, as we pray, we remember Martin in gratitude and chagrin. And we pledge amid our stressed ambiguities to dream as he did, to walk the walk, and to talk the talk of your coming kingdom. We pledge to ensure that your truth will not stop its march until your will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Amen. Glad to have you for second of six whole weeks, Zeus. And yeah, songs of preparation. Uh, this Sunday we're talking about sign acts in the prophets and uh, when we sat down to talk about what sort of music might go with a sign act that turned out to be sort of a tall order. Um, so, but we, we drilled down on something that I thought was, uh, that was good, which was to talk first about the body, if the body is the site of the sign act, um, then where are our bodies? and what are those bodies experiencing right now, so. I am sick with wanting And it's evil and it's daunting How I let everything I cherish lead to waste I am lost in greed this time It's definitely me 
I point fingers, but there's no one there to blame. I need for something. Oh, let me break it down again. I need for something, but not more medicine. I am sick of wanting, and it's evil how it's got me. And every day is worse than the one before. The more I have, the more I think I'm almost where I need to be. If only I could get a little more. I need for something. Oh, let me break it down again. I need for something, but not more medicine. Something has me. Oh, something has me. Like someone I don't wanna be. Something has me. Oh, something has me. Acting like someone I know isn't me. Ill with want and poisoned by this ugly greed. Temporary is my time. Ain't nothing on this world that's mine except the will I found to carry on. Free is not your right to choose. It's answering what's asked of you to give the love you find until it's gone. I need for something. How? Let me break it down again. I need for something, but not more medicine. Something has me. Oh, something has me acting like someone I don't wanna be. Something has me. Oh, something has me acting like someone I know isn't me. Ill with want and poisoned by this ugly greed. Ill with want and poisoned by this ugly greed. Ill with want and poisoned by this ugly greed. Blackbirds singing in the dead of night. Take these broken wings and learn to fly all your life. You were only waiting for this moment to rise. Blackbirds singing in the dead of night. 
Blackbird singing in the dead of night Take these sunken eyes and learn to see All your life You were only waiting for this moment to be free Blackbird fly Blackbird fly Into the light of the dark black Blackbird singing in the dead of night Take these broken wings and learn to fly All your life You were only waiting for this moment to arise You were only waiting for this moment to arise You were only waiting for this moment to arise Thanks so much, Suze. Um, so good to see all of you. As we talk, continue to talk about the prophets, before we get to that, we are gonna pass the peace of Christ to one another, and since it's still, I guess we can't quite say it's the beginning of the new year, we're now in mid-January, but there might be some people you haven't seen um, in the new year, so greet those around you and pass the peace of Christ to one another. And this is also a great time being the new year, that if you for some reason do not receive the EA social or the weekly and would like to, uh, fill out a yellow card so we can make sure all this information about things where we can march and show up and move our bodies tomorrow for MLK, as well as reminders about the Super Bowl in case you're like Ben and I who forget when the Super Bowl happens. Um, it's a really great way for us to stay in communication with you. So fill out a yellow card if you need to in the back, but pass the peace of Christ to one another. I think there are still some snacks in the back and coffee and water, and we'll gather in just a few moments. All right, um, if you would, hey everyone, if you would make your way back toward the middle, um, and like Ben mentioned earlier, last week I gave a um, very quick, but in-depth as you can in a brief overview, but sort of gave an overview of the prophets of old um, that we find in the Hebrew Bible and would encourage anyone who wasn't here to just sort of listen to the podcast as it just kind of is helpful, it's not up, it'll be up this week, um, but sort of just helpful to get an idea of context of kind of who and what the prophets of old that we'll be looking at over these weeks are speaking into each week. Um, and so for our text today, 
Jeremiah is speaking during the pre-exilic era of the prophets. We talked about the three eras. And he is specifically speaking to the 10 southern tribes that became Judah when the two northern tribes split off and became Israel. And this text is happening before the fall of Jerusalem to Babylon. Um, And so that's very brief, but kind of what our text, where we are today. But yeah, take a listen to that podcast. And so much of Jeremiah, um, the prophet, can be read as an indictment of the people, really most prophets, right, can be read as an indictment of the people for not really living into true justice and worship and forgetting who God has called them to be. Um, But this indictment is pierced with alternative visions, alternative ways of what can be that come out of God, a wellspring of hope that comes from God's vision, God's love, God's justice that they are invited into as well as us. Yet these people are a little too consumed and overwhelmed by empire and kingdoms more than the words and ways of God. Some might say not too differently from our life today. So as we read today's text, um, it's a doozy. It's really interesting and fun. I don't think that this one's in the lectionary. I was trying to find it. Wonder why. You'll figure out soon enough. Um, But as we read today's text, I really want you all to be paying attention to and looking for the criticism that Jeremiah proclaims Right, last week we talked about kind of criticizing and energizing. So be looking for the criticism that Jeremiah proclaims as well as hints and places where the alternative vision of God um, that Jeremiah also is nudging them toward. So criticisms and alternative visions and alternative ways. So be paying attention to that because tonight y'all are doing lots of talking, so. Um, Would someone read Jeremiah 13, 1 through 11 for us? Thus said the Lord to me, Go and buy yourself a linen loincloth, and put it on your loins, but do not dip it in water. So I bought a loincloth according to the word of the Lord, and I put it on my loins. And the word of the Lord came to me a second time, saying, Take the loincloth that you bought and are wearing, and go now to the Euphrates, and hide it there in a cleft of the rock. So I went and hid it by the Euphrates, as the Lord commanded me. And after many days, the Lord said to me, Go now to the Euphrates, and take from there the loincloth that I commanded you to hide there. Then I went to the Euphrates and dug, and I took the loincloth from the place where I had hidden it. But now the loincloth was ruined. It was good for nothing. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Thus says the Lord, Just so, I will ruin the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. This evil people who refuse to hear my words, who stubbornly follow their own will and have gone after other gods to serve them and worship them, shall be like this loincloth, which is good for nothing. For as the loincloth clings to one's loins, so I made the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah cling to me, says the Lord in order that they might be for me a people, a name, a praise, and a glory. But they would not listen. Thanks so much, Gail. So, yeah, what's the criticism here? What are some of the criticisms here? 
don't be shy, even though it's about loincloths. You're talking about criticisms in the text. Right? Yeah, in the text. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that God's people are serving other gods. God's people are serving other gods, yep. Refusing what? to hear God's words. Refusing to hear God's words, yep. Pride, right? That came up a few times. Not listening. Not listening. Yeah. Other criticisms? Idolatry. Idolatry? It's like, you know, you have a pretty intimate relationship with your underwear, (laughs) and they've chosen to ruin that. Yeah? That is really, really well put, Gail. That is really, really well put. Yeah. They, like, are the underwear. Yeah. Yeah. They're, like, the the not-nice kind. Yeah, like the pretty grody, soiled kind. It sounds like if Jeremiah, like, originally, if it was, like, a thing he bought and there's linen, it's probably pretty... Nice. nice. Yeah. It's like not like a waste. Totally. This idea of something having a use, and it's like, well, what are you good for, right? They were supposed to be a people in the name of praise and glory. If you're not good for that. Then why are you even here? Yeah. Yeah. So, what is the alternative vision that is being hinted at here, do you think? in some ways Marie and Ben started hinting at it, right? But like this alternative, what would it mean to actually have been a nice, fine linen loincloth, right? Well, they would have maintained their intimate relationship with God, God. and they wouldn't have defiled it by going after other gods. Right? And there's... Yeah. They could have and still have the opportunity to still be God's people, right? A name, a praise, a glory. The people of God who realize, right, aren't only told, but realize and are living as if they are people of God. And yet we just have this soiled loincloth as a sign act, which Suze, I thought, really beautifully talked about, right? Um... But I'm curious, so Synax, a scholar, I really like how a scholar talks about Synax and the prophets, and he says that prophetic Synax, right, in some ways this loincloth is slightly gross or uncomfortable to read about, right? Makes you do a little, ooh, at least for me. But Synax were used and are used as provocative metaphors, some might say, as a symbolic action to speak to how people are both failing when it comes to the justice and mystery and mercy of God, as well as offering alternative visions and hope and possibility for what that same God still offers us. They serve as a generative power um, that pushes those who are experiencing experiencing them, seeing them, reading about them, out of our intellectual concept of how something should be. So synax often are used to really make us uncomfortable and make us question and make us hopefully try to see, oh shoot, the way things are we really are a soiled loincloth here, isn't the way that it has to be. 
It's a provocative nudge toward the alternative, toward the alternatives of God, that God and these prophets of old and prophets of new are continually inviting us into to imagine and to be about. So I'm curious, how, if this sign act, if this loincloth weren't present, how would, the, how would this indictment shift, right? How does this sign act make the criticism and make the alternative vision, in your opinion? Or one way that might be helpful is to imagine this text if you were just reading the indictments without the imagery and the stink of this loincloth. How would it have a different flavor? But yeah, how does this sign act really make this prophetic claim? And the universality of it. The universality, yeah. Yeah, we all remember it. Yeah, that kind of we're all connected to and understand. And the embodiment part, you know. Yeah, so. it's so embodied. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like it'd be something you could just consider. Yeah. You know, like oh, that's an interesting point. I'll think about it. But yeah. the imagery makes it like really like, real. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah. Because I do imagine, um, like, right? We don't totally know. If the loincloth, right, of Jeremiah, if the loincloth was brought to the people. But kind of in my mind, I imagine, like, why the heck not, you know? And it's a lot harder to simply keep it an intellectual, like, oh, yeah, yeah, we see your point, we see your point, than when you're smelling the stink and looking at the gross, dirty loincloth and thinking, oh, that's us. There's something for Jeremiah, too, right? As the prophet, I was chuckling at like the proceduralism mm-hmm. early on. Like, and then you get, and then you get, but he wears it, and it's like perfectly good. And he goes to the and then like, so I think that process, right, for him is like, man, like the disappointment of this. Yeah, and like the weight that he probably is feeling, and the grief, sort of like how. Um, sorry, I. Mention Walter Brueggemann a lot. Mentioned him a lot last week. We already had a lot of him this week. But I really love his perspective on the prophets. And he talks about one of the greatest gifts that the prophets gives us is that the prophets grieve, right? Like they get so, they walk so into the procedure, right? And the steps that they have been told by God that they take on the grief and the corruption, and just how far people, right, have separated themselves from God. And that their grief, right, by Jeremiah not running away from that, then allows the people, through this dirty loin cloth, to have a moment, and to catch their breath, and to grieve, and to be like, oh, we, we've like totally missed the mark. And that might not happen overnight or in one, right? We know it doesn't. It's a really long book. You should read it sometime. 
but that these moments of Jeremiah being fully open to walk into grief creates a space for the people then and for us now to walk into that grief. But it's only, Brueggemann says, when we open ourselves to the grief and to the criticism that hope, the full hope of God and mercy and love of God can break in. But too often, we like barely scratch the surface of that grief and of the criticism. So we never fully realize the hope and love that we are invited into of being God's people. So yeah, I think that's really true. So I obviously found that powerful about a sign act because I just went off on a little tangent about it. But what do you all, from reading this text and starting to think about sign acts, find so powerful in these provocative, embodied sign acts being used to cultivate really alternative visions both then and now, that it just doesn't quite do it for you when it's simply words being spoken. What's so powerful or curious or convicting that these synacts offer? The thing that strikes me uh, about this and Acts now, but um, this particular right that intimacy went to where it makes me deeply comfortable to think about. But you know, it's very real about our day-to-day lives. It's very easy to sort of put your beliefs and your values like over here as you're like, I gotta get kids to school. Yeah. Um, and so seeing it so embodied, thinking about like your value, I mean, like the everything's like your value should be as close to you as your underwear, right? <laughs> Which is a funny thing to think about, but also it puts that, it puts in the perspective, it doesn't let you put them over there, which is what yeah. we do most of the time is we're yeah. just like getting stuff done. Yeah. They're confrontational in a way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah thanks for that, Clinton. Others, what's so powerful, curious, that's sticking with you about Synax and the role of them in this particular text and how we then and now process them? Well, I wonder how um, against social norms it was to parade one cross around. You know, like how artists often will use provocative, shocking mm-hmm. things to make us pay attention. I think yeah. this might have been rather provocative yeah. to say, I'm holding a dirty underwear yeah. for everyone to see in a public space. And in some ways, right, that's sort of why we say at Emmaus Way that we so believe and support the arts because it's often artists that are speaking in more honest and provocative ways to the truth and the ways of love and justice and light even more than we're finding in the church, right? Because I don't really think in a, most churches would a dirty loincloth be societally acceptable, right? We're all kind of cringing in here thinking about it. But it is the artists, the prophets of old and new that I do think provoke and shake us. And I think um, that we need more of them. I don't know about you, but I've really been feeling like, especially through, man, just the way that we can receive news and information There's so many mediums, right, to constantly receive words and information. And a lot of it is 
Some of it's really good, some of it's really bad. A lot of it, if we seek it out, can be very prophetic, calling us into other ways. But I do think there's something about reading or hearing, simply reading or hearing something, without a sign act, literal, visual, or like reading about it, and like having a visceral reaction, that we're able to just sort of keep it in our minds as an intellectualized concept that we know is true and good and right, without actually being so moved at how visceral it is, how provocative, that we aren't actually pushed to turn toward and address the deep grief and the deep pain that is underneath it all. But really it's that grief, it's that pain, it's that provocative, visceral reaction that we are invited to embody that opens up the space for us to remember that we are God's people and that we are invited to move and live into alternative futures of God that are not of these kingdoms here on earth or of these empires. And I don't know that words, simply words, (laughs) are enough to break those systems, right? But that synax of old and new not only must be enacted, but I think must be seen by us, and we must be open to them. So in thinking, Gail kind of started mentioning artist, but when thinking about current or present day prophets, what are some sign acts that you have seen or experienced or heard of that have been unleashed in our midst to provoke and offer alternative visions? Perhaps it's a sign act that really resonated with you. Perhaps it is one that you were deeply troubled by. But what are some that come to mind? I just makes me think of that artist that recently uh, put up, put their work up for the exhibit and they put that shredder under it. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, yeah, that was that was a lot. I had no idea to convey with that. <laughs> It was shocking. <laughs> For sure. I had um, an opportunity to see the Kikini Wiley sculpture. Does everybody know about this? So Kikini Wiley is typically a portrait artist who did the President Obama's portrait. Mm-hmm. And he has, after Charlottesville, he got funding to replicate one of the Confederate monuments in Richmond, but he placed himself on the steed. And it is 27 feet high, and it's bronze, and it's stunningly gorgeous, and it's fully installed in front of the Virginia Fine Arts Museum in Richmond. And it takes you two and a quarter hours to get there. So, highly recommend it. It's powerful. He's in a hoodie. Hmm. His dreads got caught on the tarp when they were trying to unveil it a couple times, and holes in his jeans. It's really right that connects to the dislocated right, prophetic movement and witness that you all went to today of, right, right, an old, right, a confederate monument (laughs) being torn down and what does it mean to create different signs, yeah. One that Suze mentioned whenever we were talking about this series is um, how a group of women have been, right, sort of standing in front of the White House 
openly bleeding, right, to speak up for reproductive rights of women. That is a provocative sign act. But I think one that actually our country needs to see, right? We can't act like it's not needed. Others, what are some sign acts, prophets that you think about? Oh, sorry. No, I thought of um, Diane's. I find Diane's. Do you, uh, those are when people will like go to a courthouse or a oh yes, 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 maybe a school <laughs> and just lie yes. on the floor as if that's very uncomfortable and resonant to me. And then um, there was recently a climate protest in D.C. and they took a full-size sailboat and blocked an intersection. Wow. Sailboat. And both of those pull out this piece of like something that that does that talk doesn't do. It's like I couldn't go through that intersection again without thinking about seeing it. it. Yeah, or like walk on those steps without yeah. being kind of disturbed. Yeah. yeah. Any others? Think about like stories. So like. I knew in the back of my head that like police brutality and like racialized pr police brutality were a thing. But then when I like read and watched *The Hate You Give*, which is like a young adult novel about um, a particular instance of police brutality, but like this young man—it's it, like through the eyes of this young woman who was like good friends with this young man. So I feel like that, like it being in like like it's fiction, but it's a story in a way that like news stories are all like information usually. So I don't know if that makes sense, but I feel like sure. books and movies that like tackle an issue from, I don't know, like fiction can do a lot. Yeah, fiction can do a lot, for sure. Thanks for that, Julia. I think about those places where there's been a violent uh, death mm. and they do like a little memorial mm. with um, candles and balloons and teddy or whatever appropriate for that person. Every time I see that, I just, I just pause and I'm just again aware that somebody lost a life at that point, mm -hmm. unnecessarily. And to not forget, right? To not just become a people who assume that senseless violence and death must be the norm. Yeah, thanks, Joy. When we were talking about this series, one sign act that we discussed, right? It was in um, June 2015 when Brie Newsom at 30, she had turned 30 the month before, right? Scaled the flagpole on the lawn, the South Carolina State House grounds to remove the Confederate flag. And this sign act, right? This removal of a white supremacist symbol not only criticized the way things were, but the way things are and the way things had been for centuries, but in her taking it down, opened up an alternative future that that's not how it is supposed to be or how it has to be. And I love this, while scaling the 30-foot pole, so I read in an interview that she said, maybe you all read this too, but while scaling the pole, a police officer's like yelling at her, right? Like, come down, come down, come down. And she says, in the name of Jesus, this flag has to come down before I do. You come against me with hatred and oppression and violence. I come against you in the name of God. This flag comes down today. That is a prophetic sign act. And sure, 
right? <laughs> White supremacy still reigns and racism is still so prevalent and is just feels like it's part of the groundwater of this country in which we find ourselves. But her sign act really did start and continued multiple sign acts of different Confederate monuments coming down, right? And that Confederate flag as of July 10th, 2015 on the South Carolina grounds never went back. And it seems appropriate and fitting to say that Brie really was continuing King's legacy of trying to shake us up and shake this country up, to penetrate and break free our obsession with white supremacy and inability for so many of us, white folk in particular, to believe that all people, ourselves included, can in fact be equal and can in fact be about an all-encompassing equitable justice that the God of the prophets, the God of us all, invites us into again and again and again. Sometimes that God just has to do it with dirty loincloths and taking a Confederate flag down. And I'm always struck in King's writing because I kind of think maybe sometimes this gets washed, this gets lost, or especially like watered down within some white circles and some of them in which I find myself, that we like to think that as long as we're really, really, we know, we know things, right? <laughs> and we are intellectually wise, and we do try to love justice and be about mercy and love God, and I do deeply think that we do but one of his greatest critiques was of the polite racism of his most liberal allies, of the language and the policies they would employ to excuse and perpetuate racial injustice in part whenever it made them uncomfortable, right? Whenever it pushed just a little too far. And I think that maybe one way that we can live into King's legacy, especially we white folk in this room, is to not get so uncomfortable by the sign acts of justice and the prophets in our midst, but to say, oh wait, that actually is where this liberating love of God is not necessarily where I am most comfortable. A question or criticism, one question or criticism, and I think an alternative future, of King Sinax throughout his life, of those he spurred on and inspired like Breeze might have for us, is what are the Sinax of the prophets then, like Jeremiah with this loincloth, and now, urging us to remove from our lives so we might actually grieve and create space 
to see the criticism of the way our everyday lives aren't quite liberating for all of God's people. So that we might more fully hear and know that we all are God's people, a name, a praise, a glory, invited to be about equitable justice and mercy that brims from an ever-loving God, even now, where we are, and that it's okay that it can start in our place of grief as we continue to notice and perhaps remember Synax that maybe we wanted to scoot to the side a little too quickly. I want to end tonight with some remarks MLK made once um, in a letter to civil rights leaders. He said, We do not need allies who are more devoted to order than to justice. I hear a lot of talk these days about our direct action program alienating former friends. I would rather feel that we are bringing to the surface many latent prejudices which were always there. We're simply saying don't forget them. I think Synax push us out of our comforts of order and in pushing us invites us to reflect and grieve but then also reminds us, hey, there is a different way. This is not how it's supposed to be. So thank God for the prophets of Jeremiah and dirty loincloths. Thank God for the prophet Bree Newsom. And thank God for Martin Luther King, who still, 50 plus years later, is trying to shake us up and say, hey, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Come back next week. We're going to talk about some visions and dreams and Ezekiel. Suze is very jazzed. I am slightly terrified, but it'll be really great. I hope you'll come. Our confession this evening continues with our goal of talking about embodiment. Um, One of the things that you find in several of the prophetic books, Habakkuk, I think, is particularly fixated on how the rich uh, drink too much. Uh, And Habakkuk kind of uses that as a metaphor, like there is literally alcohol flowing at these incredible parties that you're throwing while people starve, but then, you know, that kind of like, and so the, uh, in Habakkuk, uh, Habakkuk is always doing this thing where um, the prophet says, you know, you drink and drink and drink, and then God's going to vomit you out, which is mostly just trivial at this point, but I always thought that was a fun, fun little wordplay.
With a growing sense of dread And a hammer in my head Fully cloaked upon the bed I wake up to the world That lately I've been living in There's a cut upon my brow Must have banged myself somehow But I can't remember now And the front door's open wide Lately I've let things slide I go to the bin I throw the laundry in And pick out the cleanest shirt Then I tell myself again I don't really hurt Smoking I once quit Now I got one lit I just fell back into it Along with my pride Lately I've let things slide I go to the bin I throw the laundry in Dig out the cleanest shirt When all at once I'm seized again By exquisite hurt That untouched takeaway I brought home the other day Has quite a lot to say The evidence is clear, even resigned Piled high and wide about how lately I've let things slide I'm just about holding on, but lately I've let things slide. If I had a hammer, I'd hammer in the morning, I'd hammer in the evening. All over this land I'd hammer out danger I'd hammer out a warning I'd hammer out love Between my brothers and my sisters All, oh, all over this land If I had a bell I'd ring it in the morning I'd ring it in the evening All over this land I'd ring out danger I'd ring out a warning I'd ring out love Between my brothers and my sisters All, oh, all over this land And if I had a song I'd sing it in the morning I'd sing it in the evening All over this land I'd sing about danger I'd sing out a warning I sing about love between my brothers and my sisters all, oh, all over this land. Well, I got a hammer and I got a bell and I got a song to sing all over this land. It's the hammer of justice. It's the bell of freedom. It's a song about love between my brothers and my sisters all, oh, all over this land. At that sense that the last one just kept going for a while, you know? It's really built up some energy there. 
sometimes you come to invite y'all to the table and you're like, well, what, what are you going to say? If y'all don't have some things to say, I'm going to let y'all give this table invite. Synax, here in our midst, every single week, we have an action that we do together that captures not just who we hope to be as a community and the vision we hope to hold at our center of a table that is open and wide and welcome and communal, but a God who would set such a table. And there's so many stories, there's so many alternative visions that we talked about so many times that are contravened by this. You could go buy all the wine and the food, the bread, anything that you can afford is yours. No, there's a different table where what is on offer is on offer equally to all and where nothing you have bought or brought to it aside from the people who actually bought the bread tonight, but this sign act tells a different story. Plenty of stories about bodies not really mattering here. We have a place where we acknowledge a God who entered a body to express just how much bodies matter. Suffering is something that should be apart from our impermeable visions of white safety or forever security. This is about a God who entered into that body to meet us in suffering. We should be independent, no. This is a place where we serve each other, where independence is revealed as the falsity over which we throw our fundamental dependence on each other and on God. We do this every week as a sign of a kingdom, of a kingdom, of a God, who says to so many of our ways of organizing ourselves and of telling the stories in our head, there is another way, there is a better way, there is a fuller way, and I have gone ahead and given all to make that plain and invite you to do this again and again until that kingdom comes in its fullness. However, you've let things slide. There is a hammer and a bell and a song and freedom here in this table in the space between us tonight. You are most welcome. Come serve each other, pour wine and juice, break a cracker or bread for each other. Fill it, living into this act um, as a sign of some other reality that is already in our midst. Come to the table. <laughs>